Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Dr. John Leaf on the line. John, how are you? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation, and thank you for your time today. Uh, you've done some amazing work, especially around the, the arenas of neuropsychiatry and also cellular communications, which people in business and a lot of people that are listening are, are business leaders. It's really important to understand the work that, that John is doing because it's going to shed some light on how we as humans can be better and live life and be strong in business. So why don't you share a little bit about you and your background, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Okay. Well, I'm a neuropsychiatrist. I've been treating, I treat patients, uh, hospitalized patients almost entirely, uh, who have medical illness, neurological illness, and then on, as well, they have uh, uh, psychiatric issues. I've treated a lot of um, brain injury patients. I've run many facilities. And uh, through the years, I've dealt with the question of, um, is it a medical issue causing a mental change? Is it a mental change causing a medical issue? Sort of the interface of mind and body is what I've been dealing with. And then about 10 years ago, I um, started a blog uh, to investigate what, what mind is and where it, it is uh, in, in nature, where it might be in the brain, where it might be in animals, etc. So I started reviewing the scientific literature. I made a vow only to stick with the top journals like uh, Science and Nature and, the, and then review articles. And I would basically translate these very obscure articles into English because no one can read these articles. Even experts in the next door down in the lab don't understand because they all involve receptors and genes and proteins. And it's really gobbledygook to read them. So I basically was translating it into English for many years. And I wrote about the human brain. And we noticed there was no place in the human brain for subjective experience. Uh, there's no modules that they thought. It's all highly connected and things happen uh, much faster than our imaging devices, like in milliseconds all around the brain, not in seconds, which was what we measure in MRIs and things like that and PET scans. And then I, 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 I investigated smaller brains like animals and then even down to bees and ants and uh, termites and found incredible intelligence in these tiny little brains. But then as I investigated further, um, I started writing a lot about uh, cells, uh, first microbes. And also in my book, uh, I talk about viruses, how they communicate as well. That's a newly discovered thing in the last four or five years that they communicate with our cells and then how cells are communicating everywhere. And then it dawned on me that there's nowhere um, a book and a summary of how 
everything in biology, everything in the human body, everything between the brain and the immune system is all based on communication. It's all based on signaling. And uh, the more I investigated it, the more elaborate this signaling was. And really everything occurs as a result of complex conversations between a multitude of cells. So it, it would include, instead of if you were going to investigate the kidney in the past, you would investigate a kidney cell. But now you really have to investigate cells all over the body. The, the blood vessel cells are communicating. They're sending signals to alert immune cells. The immune cells are signaling with skin cells, with uh, microbes are communicating. We have friendly microbes. We have enemy microbes that are all communicating. And um, so that's what the book came. Uh, so I wrote the book called The Secret Language of Cells that really outlines the uh, this new thesis that everything is based upon signaling. And I was surprised, uh, you know, certain people liked it, like Andy Wilde liked it, and Ray Kurzweil thought it was the future of medicine. But I was very surprised when business people liked it. Uh, the Harvard Business Review uh, wrote about it in, in very positive terms, saying it was sort of leading the way, and a group connected with Drucker. And the reason they gave is that the holy grail they wrote the holy grail of um of medicine future medicine is cellular intelligence and uh this book explains it in a way uh, i eliminated all jargon so anyone could read it someone wrote a review saying even a high school stu uh, science student could read it and understand it completely it's basically a panoramic view of the life of cells and how elaborate the communication is it's um, one other thing is uh, Zimmer recently wrote a book on defining life. It's, it's, it turns out it's almost impossible to define life. Like if you say life is something that reproduces, well, once you're 80, are you alive? You're not reproducing, but you're still alive. So every definition you give doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But usually biologists think of it as a cell that can reproduce and has metabolism. But I think now it has to be changed and it has to include also communication and fairly intelligent communication. In the book, I don't talk about intelligence because we don't know what that is and there's no definition of intelligence. There's no scientific definition of consciousness. There's no definition of mind. Um, but I just show by the behavior, how elaborate the communication is, uh, and the implications are clear that there's a whole lot of intelligent communication going on among the cells. It's amazing work and an incredible book. And, and again, you're spot on in the, anybody that you know, can read uh, will be able to comprehend you know the communication style quite frankly that you chose to use in this book because in uh, as I was thinking about what you were saying about how everything communicates with each other inside our bodies and at first it to me it, it almost seems like common sense that that would be in fact the case but as you've you know highlighted, you know, the research around this, you know, is in the findings that you've been discovering and in, in, in others in, in the sector is relatively recent, which is, is amazing in a way to think about it because just a simple fact of me, you know, sending a signal for me to look from left to right, 
I don't have to think to myself, okay, look left, look right. It, it just happens. But I know there's a lot of things going on for me to be able to look in one direction or another. It's not just you know, levers per se. It's something a little bit more complex than that. And the complexity of us and the communication that's going on within our bodies and all of the cells and everything else is, is just absolutely amazing. Well, a couple of things. Um, so we, uh, we're all reading about how important microbes are, but no one really states how that can be. Like uh, we did, Science discovered the signals microbes use about 30 years ago. So we've known about it for a long time, but it's very hard to uh, research tiny little molecules in the midst of cells and bodies and tissues. But in the recent years now that science is so much better, what we've learned is that the reason microbes can be so influential in human life is that they speak the same language. Their cells speak human cell language, and they all speak the same language. Therefore, they can interact, they can interfere with each other. And recently, even uh, viruses are uh, shown to, I mean, I knew viruses were pretty clever because I've written a, uh, on my website, there's a number of articles about HIV, about varicella, about Ebola, and about how amazing their lifestyle is. And I always suspected that they could communicate. But four years ago, the signals were found. And now we have at least 15 elaborate examples of, of, of viruses communicating with each other, building structures together, um, uh, sending signals to kill a cell or not kill a cell. Uh, everyone knows, everyone learned in school that neurons are in circuits and send signals one to the next, you know, with neurotransmitters. That's pretty clear. But it's not clear that the exact same process, much more elaborate, not, not just uh, neurotransmitters, but uh, molecular signals, little sacs filled with molecules, uh, electrical signals, uh, nanotubes, uh, all kinds of signals are every single cell. So let me just give you a, an example. So most of the research has been on the immune and the brain uh, and the communication there. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff like stem cells telling the organ what cells to make and uh, stem and, and capillary cells calling for uh, the proper immune cells to climb and giving signals to get to the tissue. But we all, but the most research has been on and no one thought there were um, immune cells in the brain until uh, recently. And then it was discovered that in the fluid surrounding the brain, the cerebral spinal fluid, there are at least uh, 500,000 T cells. And T cells are the master communicators, the master immune cells. They're the ones who tell everyone else what to do. Turns out they're signaling to the neurons. So one example is um, when we get sick, the T cell is the one that tells the neuron create the sick feeling and the neuron then makes us feel sick uh, with, uh, you know, wanting to lie down, feeling a headache, feeling tired, exhausted. And when the infection is done, only the T cell can tell the neuron go back to normal cognition. And then the T cell is sending a pulse of signals, keep normal cognition going. Um, another example is uh, the fetus makes a trillion neurons and then prunes it down to less than a hundred uh, billion. And then after birth, about a thousand every day are made and no more. And about half of those go to the nose. 
to refresh the nose neurons and half go to the memory center. So it's in the memory center where a new cell is minted and when, and when new memories occur, they're associated with these new cells. We don't know exactly how a memory is associated with a, with a cell, but they are. And so let's say you re-remember something and the old memory was, I was at this place and there was a car there and something was going on. The new memory might be, oh, I was at this place. It was a such and such a house and there was a red Chevy there, not a, just a car. And the new cell takes on the new memory and, um, and grows and builds connections and gradually takes over and the old uh, connections are there, but they fade a little bit and they're not as strong as the new, new young uh, vibrant cell. Uh, so, and the new connections sort of take over uh, that memory. So when we have depression, the T cell tells the neurons and the stem cells to make less, make less of these new memory cells. And that's, the brain fog that we feel in depression. When we cure depression from whatever means, you know, with, with medications, with psychotherapy, with jogging, with, uh, you know, whatever, going into on a vacation, however we cure the depression, the T cell then tells the brain, go back to making the proper amount of memory cells. The same thing happens with stress. When we have acute stress, it actually can be helpful. Uh, you know, when you're working hard, really hard on something and you have a lot more energy suddenly, uh, and we, they, they may make even more cells. But then when it goes on for a while, it, um, it, 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 when the stress goes on, it becomes like depression uh, and you start getting less and less memory cells. And that's, again, the brain fog you feel with chronic stress and depression. All of this is coming from a signaling of an immune cell in the cerebral spinal fluid to a neuron saying, uh, you need to do this. Uh, you need to lower the memory um, to deal with the stress. Uh, so I can give more examples. I don't know if, you know, there are many, many examples of how this communication is going on. Uh, let me give one, let me give one more example. So the fact that it goes from the immune cell to the neuron is one direction of these neuroimmune circuits. By the way, these elaborate neuroimmune circuits that involve neurons, astrocytes, microglia, they involve, um, cells, um, T cells, they involve skin cells, gut cells, they can involve microbes. A lot of these circuits create chronic pain syndromes um, that have elaborate, unusual circuits that we're just defining. But when, when someone meditates or does relaxing things, whatever, uh, they feel the breath gets calmer, the heart rate gets calmer, the gut. This is stimulating the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve affects the heart the breathing and the gut, but no one could understand how relaxing, how meditating could help immunity uh, until these immune neuro circuits were found of how this communication is going on. Then it was discovered that the vagus nerve and other nerve neurons can create every kind of immunity, every kind of uh, inflammation. They can create 15 different kinds of inflammation, but they can also precipitate sending cytokine signals that improve immunity. And it turns out the same vagus nerve is doing that when you meditate or relax. Um, another discovery uh, through this same neuroimmune uh, uh, situation is circuits is how acupuncture works. No one really understood because not in the West, when we think about acupuncture, 
we would think of an energy center. You know, you're hitting an energy center. But when you look at the points, the energy centers we would think of would be blood flow or neurons. Uh, it, many of the, of the uh, acupuncture points are, are not either. And so it was, it was discovered when looking at these circuits, they stimulated an acupuncture point where it was not near a blood vessel that was not over a nerve. And what they found is there was a T cell, an immune cell sitting there that was stimulated. The T cell moves a little bit, sends a signal to the neuron, and this is in the wrist, and then it goes through the neurons and it affects the, uh, the spleen on the other side of the body. Um, so these neuroimmune circuits are really very, very important and the future of a lot of things. They're going to help with depression, all kinds of medical and psychiatric diseases. But I could go on. There, These conversations are occurring literally in every aspect of medicine. And that's what I cover in the book. I have a section on the body, I have a section on the brain, a section with microbes and then inside the cell. I separated the body and the brain because you have to talk about it. But as Harvard Business Review said, what they were very excited about is how I show conclusively that there's no separation, that their quote is the brain is the body and the body is the brain. They were excited about that because it just opens up uh, research ideas. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely enthralled with this information in the conversation, especially around when you mentioned depression, and I do a lot of work with organizations and some people that are burned out, and burnout and depression have a lot of similarities that we see. And, and the fact that there's you know, these neurons and, and microbes in our body that as we understand them can be impacted in a way for people to reduce their prolonged stress and, and reduce it to you know, an acute or episodic type of situation instead of this prolonged thing, which, of course, then leads to all kinds of other issues with our bodies. You, know, you start seeing you know, the fatigue, the brain fog that we talked about, uh, you know, nutrition issues, gut bacteria, all of these things. You know, I, I, I've known that the body is pretty connected, but you know, in this conversation, I'm learning that um, the, the communication and the, and the connections that are going on inside each of us, uh, pardon the phrase here, is, is almost mind-boggling on how incredible it is and how, as we discover you know, through your research and research of others, that we're going to be able to tie into that communication stream in a way to make sure it's like, okay, well, you know, this is the conversation that's having right now. This is actually the conversation that should be having. Let's change the conversation. You know, like when you're having a, you know, a dispute or maybe you're arguing with your spouse, you change the tone of the conversation. All of a sudden, you know, things start changing and, and hopefully improving. It'd be the same situation within ourselves as well. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned lifestyle. Uh, there are a couple of important points, uh, and there are many important points, but obviously cells, you know, food is very important because cells are tiny little things and they, and they kind of, they have to, it's a very elaborate function that they're doing and all, it's like a very, it's like a city. I mean, it's even more complicated than a city. And if we eat 
uh, uh, crap and debris, it just creates debris in the cell and they don't know what to do with it. So we're ingesting chemicals that cells have never seen before and they don't know what to do with that. So it's important uh, to eat food that doesn't uh, disrupt the normal uh, cleaning process. Uh, exercise, everyone knows, is sort of like a magical bullet, but it's not clear how that works. Uh, but two things about exercise, uh, it, one was just very recently uh, discovered and it was validated uh, what I'm saying and the scientists and I have connected now and uh, so uh, a very brilliant scientist discovered that uh, after exercise, the muscle cell sends a message. It, 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 a lot of cells like to send messages in sacs. That's how neurotransmitters go, but they're called exosomes. Like cancer cells love to send messages in sacs and uh, many other cells do. But this muscle cell creates a sac made out of a lipid. And then in the middle, they put micro RNAs that are message, you know, information cell, information molecules, and they send that and it goes to the fat cell and the fat cell takes the signal and, and lowers the, the fat. And that's one way that exercise affects fat through a direct signal of one cell to another, which is kind of amazing. Um, the other thing about exercise is that neuroplasticity is when the brain is able to, um, function better. It creates new abilities, new um, memories, new learning is neuroplasticity. And the way this occurs, it, it used to be thought it's in one little area, but actually things that happen in the brain happen all over the brain in, in microseconds. We can't measure that, by the way. So a lot of these studies that show this area does this are, are wrong because they're dealing with seconds, not m microseconds. Almost everything occurs in a wide ranging and the wider ranging the circuit that creates changes that become semi-permanent, the neuroplasticity um, are very important. So for example, uh, let me give an example. So you're doing a high jump and you're gonna visualize the high jump before you do it, you close your eyes, you imagine jumping and that will improve the jump 30%. But then if while you're doing that visualization, you take your hands and you just move them drastically to the side, as you, as you visualize jumping, it improves at 45%. Well, what could that be? Well, what's happening is that the circuit in the brain that's building a, an ability is adding the physical element to the mental element. And because you add the physical element, it, the body is more integrated and it functions better. Another example is they did a study with children where you um, are teaching mathematics. And uh, in one classroom, they teach the mathematics and in the exact same classroom, they point for each thing. The pointing increases the learning by 10% because it, again, it adds a physical element. So things that include a lot of aspects are stronger memories. So for example, that's why music is so important because music involves, you know, the meaning of the song, you know, that you know, the melody, you like the melody, you know, the singer in the history of the, of the singer and the band, you're dancing, you're moving your body, you're with your friends, all of these things are going on. So the neuroplasticity is tremendous. Um, and in church services, for example, or religious services, uh, you add that spiritual element to all these other elements. That's why they're so powerful. That's why the musical events in sp uh, of spiritual services are so powerful because the neuroplasticity is uh, tremendous. So what we've learned about the brain is very important. 
the brain is extremely active. There's a lot of prejudice in society about older people, but the truth is, as we thought 100 years ago, older people are actually smarter. And uh, except there's word finding problems that naturally occur when you're 70, 80, 90, but the but the actual pattern recognition, the actual circuits in the brain are far better if they've been active, but they have to be active. And it's also important that you be active with your brain in meaningful activities. People say, should I do crossword puzzles? Well, there's nothing wrong with doing crossword puzzles and that'll make you better at crossword puzzles. But it's more important to be doing something that is extremely meaningful to you, either your business or for society or for art or for culture or for whatever, gardening. It's very important that we use the brain and therefore circuits are created. So the elderly have more circuits going from the, to the frontal area, more circuits from the right and the left, and it becomes a better uh, organ. It's just better physically for the brain to be active in that way. Um, the other thing I mentioned about exercise, after exercise, there's a window of uh, increased neuroplasticity where we can learn better. And um, so if you take a mouse and you exercise the mouse right afterwards and then you give it cocaine, they're gonna become addicted faster because they're learning faster. But if you do something good, you're gonna do that better also. So it's important what we do with our brain, you know, doing good things rather than uh, bad things for us. But whatever we do, it's going to build circuits and it more so right after exercise. Uh, sleep is another thing. Sleep is very, very important because when we sleep, the neurons shrink in half and the flow of fluid between the neurons cleans out those um, clumps that cause Alzheimer's and other dementias. Uh, Parkinson's. So the, these clumps of proteins need to be cleaned out. There are four normal processes to do that. Uh, sometimes we can't keep up and we get the disease, but uh, sleep is very important for that. And the other thing about sleep is that it consolidates memory. When that new memory cell is formed at night, they loosen all the um, all the synapses and then the brain figures out what are the most important ones to focus on and uh, it strengthens those memories so i always say it's important to know it's called reconsolidation of memory you take an old memory you re-remember it in a new way and it then lay down the new memory so if you have trauma one thing i emphasize is that you can take the memory of the trauma re-remember it and add to it positive things that are occurring now. You know, you're doing your burnout exercises, you're having your uh, therapy, you're going in vacations in the nature, you know, your family. You add a little element of love to the uh, memory and it re-remembers it and it just slightly diminishes the trauma effect. And you can keep doing that. You can keep adding and re-remembering over time using this reconsolidation process. Oh, let me mention one other thing that's found. It, another important thing is for some reason, and we don't really know why, but I mean, I can theorize and uh, uh, nature has a unique effect on the brain. So if you take a little beanie cap as an EEG machine and you just walk in the woods, you're already meditating. And as far as the brain is concerned, if you're in a hospital bed and you have a little flower there, they're better off. If you're in an apartment and you can look down the street and see a tree, you're better off. Something about being in nature 
is extremely important for humans. And maybe it's because we're complementary and we use oxygen and they use CO2 and they, you know, who knows? We don't know. I, I don't speculate much. I just talk about what's proven, but it is proven that nature is one of these things like using your brain, like sleep, like exercise uh, that are vital. This has been an amazing, amazing journey um, um, in a very brief period of time of, of awareness on how the communication that we have within you know, impacts every aspect of our life. So, Dr. Leaf, thank you so much for this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and all of this amazing work you do? Well, uh, yes, please. Thank you. I'm very active on Twitter. And so my handle is my name, but unfortunately, it's most people don't spell it right. So it's J-O-N, John Leaf, L-I-E-F-F. Uh, J-O-N, no one knew John until John Stewart, I think, and then everything was always had an H. So J-O-N-L-I-E-F-F-M-D. So at John Leaf M-D. John Leaf M-D is also my website, which is also called Searching for the Mind, where a lot of articles exist on all of these subjects. And my book um, is, uh, I'm also on Facebook, but not very active. I'm mainly active on Twitter, where there's a lot of conversation and new articles every day. And um, so uh, my book is The Secret Language of Cells, and it's available everywhere. It's in Kindle. It's in audio. It's, uh, you know, all the sellers have it. Uh, it, it you know, it's high on the Amazon lists. Uh, so... But I'm happy to hear from anyone. Also, people can contact me through Twitter or there's a contact sheet on the uh, website. That's awesome. I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So thank you so much for this. Uh, my eyes have been opened even more. Uh, and I'm going to dive back into the book again in, in from the conversation that we've had today. And, and really thank you for the work that you're doing because it's going to make the world a much better place. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.